0: look at what this verse is highlighting. And please note that it's not highlighting it like it's graduate level Christian activity. It's going to treat all this stuff like it's normal, which means let's let's look and see, is this stuff normal to our own lives? Are these practices that are familiar to us? 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. As one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord, help us to receive from these verses this morning. Help us to be found out by these verses. Lord, what's tagged on at the end here is what matters the most to us, really, that your glory through Jesus Christ would be seen. As we get to the end, as this verse says, Lord, nothing is more important to us than that. So help us to receive from these verses in order to accomplish that end in Jesus' name. Question here. If participation in corporate activities of the church in the daily lives of believers, is getting stretched, becoming difficult. Uh, what's going to become of these sorts of activities in our lives? Now listen, this verse reads great. It's a good read. It's familiar to us, if you're familiar with the Bible. It reads great if you don't plan on doing anything with it. But if you plan on doing something with it, this is, these are not easy verses. Right? Look what gets covered here. Prayer, the end of all things is at hand. You know, have a frame of mind that's going to allow for you to have a prayer life. Let's visit prayer life for a moment. You know, when you pull up statistics, you find out the average Christian prays for less than five minutes a day. So, how easy is it for us to pull off prayer? You know, if we visit our own prayer lives, and we don't need to take a survey of people who live over there, if we just visit our own prayer lives, how many of us feel like, I'm on top of that? My prayer life is, is, is biblically relevant. It's where it should be. I'm, I'm really excited about where it's at. Right? Without a show of hands, it's hard to pull off a prayer life. Right? What about, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly love one another. Right? Is, this, is this a small issue? I mean, we want to walk past this too quickly. But the reality in many, many churches, many churches, is we don't even know too many people's names, much less love them earnestly with some unique expression and powerful demonstration of love. We're we're casually distant acquaintances at best in many churches. Show hospitality to one another. Without grumbling. Now, this is, you know, this isn't everybody who's been lusting. You know, repent of your lust, and let's have an altar call. It's hospitality. Just show hospitality. But you know, if you took a survey of people walking out of an average church and you asked them, uh, when was the last time you had anybody in the church into your home? What do you think folks would say? Right. So. These verses apparently, though they just kind of slip through some easy sounding categories, they're not easy, are they? This is some tough stuff. This is some stuff that doesn't seem to be happening. When you start, I mean, books are being written about the difficulty of people just attending a meeting. This is just attending a meeting. How many of you guys know it's easier to be here on Sunday morning than it is to have a prayer life? No, I'm serious. Show your hands. <laughs> it is much easier. If you want to graduate from here into a prayer life, who? Ooh, you about to take on something that's a lot harder than just clearing out a couple of hours and driving across town and sitting in a building and, and receiving some things this way. How many of you know that when you get into real relationships, that's why it's almost funny to say, hey, God expects us to be family. How many of you know when you start acting like family, church gets hard? Huh. How many of you know most of us are allergic to heart? You know, I, I want life to be easy. You know, nobody puts a sign out in front of their building and says, hard church. You know, <laughs> join us on Sundays. It'll be hard. You know, but, you know, when when I walk in family relationships, they're they're much more difficult than distant relationships with people that I only know from a wave of 30 to 40 feet. Or, you know, the hanging out in the lobby kind of thing and having a lobby exchange. You don't got a lobby relationship going on. But when you really get involved with each other, it won't take long before my sin will show up in your life, or my weaknesses will touch your existence, or my differences will irritate the way you are. And if if I don't want hard to be a part of my life, I'm going to walk away from those relationships. But yet, there's this huge high calling that get mentioned just in these few categories right here. That doesn't seem to be happening in the body of Christ. Now, I just want to wet our thought here for, you know, how do we fix that? You books being written by quitting church and, and a lot of stuff gets analyzed in this book. There's a lot of suggestions uh, about maybe some ways to fix that. I want to hone in on one suggestion that is the most clear biblical remedy to the life that any of us are leading. And it has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think church as an institution and including our own church can become very busy doing a lot of things that are the right things. But the Bible's very clear that, you know, you and I can have Form of godliness without power. Now, can I, can I remove that from that really insulting pile of stuff? You know, usually that's a verse that we read about people that are just living these horrible lives. You know, kind of it's included in a context for Timothy that sounds that way. But the reality is, come on, let's be humble and real here. Let's just visit our prayer lives. If you're here today and you got a 5 minute a day prayer life you got a form of something but you don't have the power of it because if you had the power of it you wouldn't be able to stop in 5 minutes So even in something like that we're not these horrible people we're just denying God and we're so worldly and we're not living for the glory of God We're denying the power of God. Hey, listen, you got a five-minute prayer life? You you might not be living it up on Bourbon Street, but you're denying the power of God. Do you understand? If if I can't pull off an affectionate communion with God that doesn't take more than five minutes, I say something about God. I'm saying something about what I've experienced of God, what I've known of God. If I can get absorbed in giving my attention to something else, that I can't quite do that just in prayer. Do you understand? We can be... Dwelling in these sort of what I'd call uninhabited structures. We've got these structures in our life. Prayer is a structure. Are we dwelling in that structure? Love for one another, it's a structure. But do we live in that structure? Now, what I see in these verses here highlights for me, I think I call this in your outline, the spirit-filled life in a charismatic people. Now, maybe you wouldn't have gone there. Right? You know, because if you're gonna use the word charismatic, you're only supposed to use that word when you're teaching from 1 Corinthians. You know, that's that's the charismatic epicenter. So if you get outside of that location, I don't know if you really have permission to say, hey, this is a charismatic passage. This is a charismatic passage. Now Peter doesn't feel the need to say, now I realize in the future this will be very controversial as to whether or not churches are charismatic or non-charismatic. He doesn't feel the need to say that. He just pulls up to the subject. And he addresses these things. He says, I I just want to highlight this for the Spirit-filled church. Prayer, love, and gifts. I just want to highlight those things. Now, didn't Peter just kind of sound like Paul? (laughs) Right? This sounds like Paul. Now, that sounds like 1 Corinthians. Prayer and the people of God, fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit are all right here in this passage. So we're talking about the Spirit-filled life amongst the charismatic people. All right, so can I just take those three components apart? Here's my math equation. I have to use my engineering degree somewhere. So you get math equations when I preach. Prayer plus fruit plus gifts. At the end of this passage equals God glorified through Jesus Christ. That's what we're into in this passage. All right, let's go to verse 7. Prayer. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Right. So here's the first thing Paul goes after is it's the end, guys. We We are approaching the end. There's an urgency in this passage. Make sure prayer is happening. Make sure you've got a prayer life. And as a matter of fact, make sure your mind is operating in such a way that you can have a prayer life. Right, that's his emphasis. Don't just be clear headed, sober minded. Don't just be that. Be that for the sake of having a prayer life. This very, very, very difficult thing that most of us are challenged to pull off, right? You're not alone. Listen to this thought from J.I. Packer and Carol Nystrom. They say, let's be honest persistent prayer is difficult. Why do we find such persistence so hard? Well, it's because the world, the flesh, and the devil combine to oppose all forms of the life of prayer and to resist all our efforts to live it. The world, meaning community life organized without and against God. If you want to highlight something in here for a different study to go off and do on your own, that is a good definition for the world. That little phrase. Community life organized without and against God. Right? So you know when you start saying worldliness, worldliness doesn't have to mean tawdry sensuality. It just means a way of life where God's not involved. It means I've created a life where God gets to sit in the bleachers even if I even gave him a seat there. Life is not about God. That's the world. Right? So good definition there. The world will seek to distract and derail us from our praying by implying that this is a weird and pointless way to behave. The broad way of the world, namely living without regard for God, is a way that has always been tempting to lapse into. We want to do what other people do, and they do not pray constantly. So why should we? They fill their lives with this worldly activities and involvements. So, that in any case, prayer is ruled out for lack of time. And why should we not do the same? Right? When it comes to the core of, okay, if I examine prayer life, why, why do I not have a prayer life? Well, you know, what's being modeled by the world around you is that you can have a life without having a prayer life. You know, I mean, it's uncommon, right? You don't, you don't walk into your place of employment and just overhear this conversation on a daily basis of people spending time in prayer. You no, know, oh, I'm skipping lunch today. I'm, I'm going to be with God in prayer. Or, but thanks for the invitation. Uh, you know, I, this morning before I arrived, I was I was with God in prayer, and then this is the encounter I had with Him uh, tonight. Tonight we've got plans for our family. We're going to be in prayer. To, you're not hearing that at work, are you? You're hearing people who are busy. They got plans. They got schedules. Their calendars are filled. But prayer is not part of their life. So if you're ever looking to see if prayer needs to be a part of your life, if you look to the world, you'll never get that lesson. You get it from the Word. But it's always been difficult to pull off. hundred years earlier than Packer's book would be thoughts from Mr. J.C. Ryle. good hundred plus years before. He says, I once thought in my ignorance that most people said their prayers, and many people prayed. Right? You know the difference between those two? Saying your prayers and praying. I have lived to think differently. I have come to the conclusion that the great majority of professing Christians do not pray at all. I know this sounds very shocking and will startle many, but I'm satisfied that prayer is just one of those things which is thought a matter of course and, like many matters of course, is shamefully neglected. And, and this, Ryle wasn't having to deal with the digital age. All right, this is a bunch of people who, they didn't have any programs to watch at night. There was nothing coming on TV because they had no TVs. He's writing in the late 1800s. <laughs> And yet still, it was a battle for people to have prayer. But there's urgency in this passage, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Theologically, there are things that God chose to do and bound himself to do in theological history. Right, we've got creation, we've got fall, and immediately with fall, we have prophecy and promise of God to bring a Messiah who would remedy men and return us to God. So there's a promise in God. That's got to happen somewhere along the quarter of time. That's got to take place. So the end can't happen until God fulfills what he said he would do. In order to fulfill that, God chose a man named Abraham. God chose a nation of Israel. He revealed himself to them so that clearly when the Messiah arrived, all the billboards down the highway of life would point to him one after another so you'd make sure you didn't miss him. Right? In matter of fact, if you want to learn about some of these signposts, attend the class and School of the Word about the Old Testament that started this morning. You know, you know what you never hear in Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel? You never hear them talking about the end is near. You don't hear that. Because see, the end couldn't come for Isaiah. The end couldn't come for Jeremiah. Because the Messiah had not yet come. And he had not restored things to God yet. And the Spirit had not been given in fulfillment of what God had promised to his people. Who once again would be restored to the indwelling presence of God. Those things had not taken place. So nobody could say... Any day now, God could fold this thing up and it could be over with. But after Pentecost, it's any day now. We presume that this is just going to go on forever. Well, if you read the Bible, you know it's not. And Peter is writing with that revelation in place that God has done everything that he promised and said he would do. He can return at any moment to finish what he began and restore us to himself and turn the lights off on this place. The end is coming. And there was urgency in Peter. There's urgency here. There's urgency in this passage that I think sometimes escapes my life. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. What a difference it makes to the way in which you and I live if we're living with an idea that this thing could be over with next week. It could all be over with. If somehow, and you know, you're not going to get this kind of revelation from Scripture, so don't try and put dates on this kind of thing. That's not the right thing to do here. But the reality is at some point, at any time, this could all be over with. What if? What if this is all going to be over with in just a short period of time? What if the mission of the church, the activity of the church, what we do with our lives is about to just be done? You've you got a few days left, guys. you got a few days left. But prayer becomes awful important, doesn't it? Clear thinking becomes very important. Sober-mindedness becomes very, very important. Right? If this was, this was a modern jock translation, This 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 is what just happened in this passage. Coach Peter uh, just got notified that it's the two-minute warning, and he called the entire offense over to the side. This is the last drive. This is it, guys. Two-minute warning. Calls everybody over, and you're gathered. And you're probably an offensive lineman in this moment uh, because I was a back and would never have done what I'm about to describe. But you're an offensive lineman, and. Coach has called you over. He's intense. You know, he's fighting with that thing on the side of his face. He's getting out of and he's in the of his face, and he looks over at you, and you've got your helmet off, and you're waving to the chicks. <laughs> right? What's, what's coach going to do in that moment? Right? He's going to hit you in the head first. Right? And this is what my coaches did. They whacked you in the helmet. Get your head in the game, boy. Right? And that the phrase he's going to use? You're going to hear that. Right? Or, or you're you're standing in the huddle. There's two minutes left. There's intensity, and, and, and you're, your coach, coach, the, the Gatorade's a little watered down. Do, do you think all the ice melted in it? He's gonna slap. He's gonna slap the cup out of your hand. Boy, get your head in the game. We ain't talking about Gatorade right now. We got two minutes left. All right, this is the Apostle Peter. This is not a time for whining. This is not a time for personal interests to consume our lives. You've got two minutes left. You are, you are in the fourth quarter. Games are won or lost in the fourth quarter. This is the intensity that Peter's bring bringing to this. Look at this thought from a different Peter. Peter Davids and his commentary says, If the end is right around the corner, one should live accordingly. Therefore, Peter says, keep sane and clear-headed so that you can pray. The idea of keeping sane is that of thinking in a level-headed way about oneself. That's kind of interesting. Rather than seeing oneself as too exalted or presumably too debased, the opposite of such clear-headedness was intoxication. So, this term meant literally not drunk. So that's where we get sober minded. And figuratively, that the mind was alert and clear, devoid of mental intoxication or fuzzy thinking. Thus, our author is calling for a mental alertness that sees life correctly in the light of the coming end. This will lead to prayer. Not the prayer based on daydreams and unreality, nor the prayer based on surprise, desperation, but the prayer that calls upon and submits to God in the light of reality seen from God's perspective and thus obtains power and guidance in the situation. I I was drawn to this thought, particularly the thought of mental intoxication and fuzzy thinking. Living in a fog, you know, you live in a fog. Some of us in our culture so promotes this. Some of us are drunk on ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Just drunk, I'm just drunk on me. I'm so aware of me. I'm aware of what's happening with me, what's not happening with me. I'm aware of where I am in my life. I'm aware of what I wanted to be in my life. I'm aware of how you're treating me. I'm aware of how you're not treating me. I'm aware of who calls and who doesn't call. I'm just aware, aware, aware of me. I'm drunk on me. And then I climb into my prayer closet. And what do you think I'm going to pray about? I'm going to pray about me. I'm going to pray about me. I'm gonna ask God to be concerned about me. I'm gonna believe big for me. I'm gonna question God. I'm gonna ask why, because this doesn't make sense for me. I'm suffering as though First Peter doesn't talk enough about suffering, so we can make sense of suffering. But God, you don't understand. I'm suffering, God. Certainly, you don't want me to suffer, God. You you want me to be happy, and so I'm gonna pray about happy trails. Happy trails. You guys remember the song? Happy trails to you. This is, this is what drunken prayer looks like. I'm drunk on me, and I'm praying, and I'm asking God, 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 I, could you just go ahead and reorbit things at this point. God, they're out of orbit. Lord, they're orbiting about stuff over there. I need the people and the things and the career. and the, I need it to orbit around me, God. I'm so aware of me. This, this is the fourth quarter. This is the end. There's a mission going on. There's other stuff God's doing. Bullets are flying and you just got shot. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You're suffering. Yes, you are. It's the fourth quarter. You got dirt and blood on your uniform. Yes, you do. And you crawl into your prayer closet. And you pray very different when you're not drunk on yourself. Right. What if you attended a prayer meeting in the first century, right? Let's attend a prayer meeting real quick. Acts chapter 4. First century prayer meeting. It sounds like this passage that quote. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Peter and John have just been released from jail, from cross-examination, from threats, from government officials for living their faith and broadcasting the gospel. When they were released, verse 23, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Right now, we're about to enter into a prayer meeting with some people who are not drunk on themselves. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your, spirit, your servant said, by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with boldness listen if there if there ever was a moment for some folks in the church to to bring before god a request for him to adjust the air conditioner this was a the moment they're being threatened Live wire persecution is coming to the church. You keep speaking like this. We're going to find you out. So there's, there's fear. There's intimidation here. I don't get to know these people a whole lot in, through this prayer. But I get to know something about how they saw the purpose of God happening in their life. Man, they were jazzed. This is God's plan. It's unfolding. There's difficulty. There's opposition. It's not going easy. But God is doing exactly what God said he was doing. And they begin to pray and call out to God. A prayer view that's not drunk on itself. They didn't even beg God to make the persecution go away. They just said, Lord, keep us on task. Keep the mission in our hearts. God, let the boldness all the more come out of us. And God, while we're, while we're serving your purpose amongst a generation that's, that's despising your purpose... Stretch forth your hand and let signs and wonders take place. Let there be healings that convince people about this gospel. That's what their prayer sounded like. Right? You, you scoot over in Acts chapter 12. It's a New Testament prayer meeting. Things are getting worse by the time you get to Acts chapter 12. The persecution's not just threats. Now it's becoming reality. People are actually dying. Right? They're dragging their friends off and burying them. About that time, verse 1, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John. Significant leader in the body of Christ, just been taken down. And Peter looks like he's next. He's in jail. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Is a prayer meeting, right? There's a prayer meeting going on. There's, there's a need for the church. This is, this is fourth quarter. This is two-minute warning. There's a purpose of God taking place. Peter is a significant person in the plan of God. He is in jail with people who are killing Christians now. And this church starts to pray. Verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door, Regarding the prison, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, "Get up quickly!" The chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, "Dress yourself and put on your sandals." And he did so. And he said to him, "Wrap your cloak around you and follow me." And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real; he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. They went out and went along one street. Immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying a prayer meeting a prayer meeting that results in stories like this this dude's going to come back and say let me tell you what happened to me while y'all were praying the impossible situation i was in that there was no way to get out chains around me guards everywhere this happened then this changed Chains fell off. Doors began to open. God moved while you prayed. Now, that's a prayer meeting. That's a prayer meeting, right? We just visited two prayer meetings. Now, let me ask you this. You ever been in any prayer meetings like that? When was was the last time? Two questions. When was the last time you were in a prayer meeting like that? Second question, when was the last time you were in a prayer meeting? Right, prayer is not a small thing. Right? See, when the, when the church of God prayed in the first century, stuff happened. Mind-blowing stuff happened. And that's, I think that's what made prayer meetings a little bit contagious. Jim Simbola pastors a church in Brooklyn, New York, who has quite a vision for prayer. The church has quite a vision for prayer. He says, what does it say about our churches today that God birthed the church in a prayer meeting and prayer meetings today are almost extinct? Right? We're, not in, we're not immune to this. If we call a prayer meeting, it's not going to look like this. It's just not. It's going to look like a little bitty group of folks gathering to pray. Right? This, this is a hard thing. Prayer is a hard thing. If it was an easy thing, everybody do it. It's not an easy thing. We're going to need some kind of help here. He says, am I the only one who gets embarrassed when religious leaders in America talk about having prayer in public schools? We don't even have that much prayer in many churches. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it really is. I'm sorry. It's embarrassing. Religious leaders stand up. The problem with this country is we don't have prayer in the schools. Dude, we don't have prayer in the churches. Let's worry about us. Let's start in our own house. Let's not play games with ourselves. Let's not divert attention away from the weak prayer life of our own churches. In Acts 4, when the apostles were unjustly arrested, imprisoned, and threatened, they didn't call for a protest. They didn't reach for some political leverage. Instead, they headed to a prayer meeting. Soon, the place was vibrating with the power of the Holy Spirit. Was, Do you see something here? The church doesn't need a form. It doesn't need something called prayer in and of itself, it needs prayer empowered by the Holy Spirit in our midst. You're not going to go far without the Holy Spirit in the realm of prayer. You just won't. It's, it's too hard. I know it sounds easy. It's prayer, for goodness sake. Isn't that sort of like riding a bicycle for a Christian? It's one of the first things you learn to do. Yeah, but everybody in this room would raise their hand and say, it's the hardest thing I do. I think we might need the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you know what creates an affection in your prayer life for God? The Holy Spirit creates an affection in your prayer life. What makes you drawn to God so that five minutes is not enough is the affection the Holy Spirit births in your heart, in your prayer life. To cry out to the Spirit in us that cries, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are Children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit bears witness. Now, I I, I don't want to begin a series this week that I'm beginning next week. But listen, there is a disconnect here. We love these Bible passages, but they are not real to us. The Spirit bears witness with us that we are children of God. That ought to mess with your world. Should mess up the way you feel about your circumstances right now. Should mess up your future thoughts about what this is about to turn into in your life. The spirit bearing witness with you that you belong to God. You are children of God. If some rich, powerful, natural person was your dad, you'd feel differently about your life. Just like that. Why is it in the natural I get that? But in the spirit, I am dull. In the natural, I get it. Got a generous dad who loves me, who's going to be faithful to me in spite of the fact that I've been stupid half my life. Did all kinds of crazy things as a teenager. My dad never turned his back. He's been involved in my life. And something begins to be hard. Man, I I know, right? We know in the natural that dad's going to show up. How is it that, that we don't know that about our God? Listen, and I know I'm telling it to you, and I know you're listening to me, but do you understand? If I didn't say that to you, the spirit inside of you is saying that to you. He bears witness with our spirit. He is out to convince our souls of this truth from the inside out. And yet, maybe maybe many of us would say, you know what, Keith, i, I I don't remember the last time that truth danced for me and made me come out of my funk, made me at peace, the Spirit of God in me convincing me. Don't panic. God is your Father. You are His child. Right? These, these things are disconnected from us. It's dangerous. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our Weaknesses. How many times are having a hard time having a prayer life? How many of y'all could use some help? Did you know the Holy Spirit's the one who helps you to have a prayer life? Right? I mean, this is not an insult because I, I, I have my own struggles with a prayer life. All right, so if you know the Holy Spirit helps you and you don't really have a good prayer life, what, what's going on? Well, might it be that I, I don't know how to receive that help from the Spirit? There's a disconnect between me and the help the Spirit wants to give me. And I just might need to get some insight from God on that. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But Ephesians 6 says, with all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit. And So, so prayer is very much a ministry of the Spirit. Where there is a lack of prayer, there is a lack of the ministry of the Spirit taking place in our lives. Right, so, look this next verse. Go back to 1 Peter. Peter now moves from prayer to fruit. Verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Right, and he's just moved from the Spirit's ministry of prayer to the fruit of the Spirit. Right? That's where we are. that's the territory we find ourselves in. When you find love for a Christian, it is to be in the category of the fruit of the spirit. Now the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. It's the fruit of the spirit. It's, it's not just something you're encouraged to do. It's the fruit of the spirit. It, it's not a solo act on your part. It is a strange, mysterious partnership of the work of the Spirit of God in you so that you love. And you love in ways that in the Bible are mind-blowing love. Right? Love here, loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So let, let look at these mind-blowing passages on love real quickly just to get a frame. John, 14, uh, John 13 verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, this is the last night. Jesus is together. He's admonishing them to love. Now, he's also going to spend a significant portion of the last night telling them the Spirit of God is coming. This is not a solo project. This is a work of the Spirit in them. By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another, right? Just as I have loved you. When, when we as the church start loving each other this way, the way in which Christ loves us, that's mind blowing to the world. And what's at stake here? What's at stake here in the fourth quarter? What's at stake here on our two minute drill to the end is whether they know you're my disciples whether they know you're weird, you're different, you don't love like the world loves. You don't have the same basis for what you do to people and what you don't do to people. You are not like the world. You have that peculiar love like that one who walked upon this earth those many years ago that we heard about. It's that kind of love that you have for each other. Did you know him? Yeah. Yeah, he's in me. That same one is in me. To love others by the Spirit in me. There's a lot at stake here. Listen, there's two minutes left, guys. There's two minutes left. Now, if you don't know there's two minutes left, how many of y'all have reasons not to love somebody in your life? Somebody in this room. Got reasons not to. Right, but, but there's two minutes left. When you're on the last drive and there's two minutes left and you, and you come and tell me what your reason for not loving somebody is, it starts sounding like... But one the Gatorade's kind of watered down. <laughs> you got two minutes left. Put the Gatorade down. <laughs> you get back in the game, because you got two minutes left. See, all of a sudden, if you got two minutes left, whatever that offense was, does does it really? Does it really? Is it really a legit cause for you to stop loving? You got two minutes left for that love to do something in this world. Two minutes to blow people's minds with love. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the lord Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love bearing with putting up with each other put up with each other in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace right how many of us are more eager to preserve the value of unity versus eager to be right But, Keith, you don't understand. I was really, really wronged by that person. No, okay, I I get that. I mean, I'm I'm alive. Stuff happens to me too. But am I more eager to be proven right in this moment? Even if we're going to have to turn the heat up on this conflict, baby, because I need to be right at the end of this. As a matter of fact, at the end of the day, I don't just need to be right. You need to say it with your mouth. I was right. I need to hear that come out of your lips. That's, that's my agenda. That's my cause. Wait, 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 wait. What about this? You got two minutes, man. Don't you want to preserve the unity for a greater cause? Isn't there something bigger involved here? are not I don't have to be eager about something bigger. Right? See, it's me being drunk on me, isn't it? I'm drunk on me. I'm not clear-headed. I'm not interacting with God. I'm not being a receiver of God's intentional purposes in my life. I'll lose track of that and how I relate to you. 1 Corinthians 13, very familiar thoughts here. But remember, in just a second here, we're going to go back to 1 Peter. And 1 Peter's language is difficult. Keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers things covers it, right? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. You understand, if you wrong me and I delay my retribution, I delay my twisting you in the wind, I am being patient in that moment. And I'm covering your sin. Love is choosing to do that. You have wronged me. I know you've wronged me. Maybe you don't even know you've wronged me yet or you're very aware that you've wronged me. And I'm not responding like, okay, that's it. Gloves come off. Let's finish this thing. Or let's, let's make this thing big. Let's take it public. I want everybody to know. I want everybody involved and I want everybody to know. Love is patient. And sometimes it covers over sin. And it just lets it sit there. You know it's there. They know it's there. And you let it sit there. Love does that. It's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All right? Do you, do you get this? Love bears, endures. All right, this is a continuing something, right? Anything I've got to endure is not a moment, it's a continuing something. So there's some cause for me to not love you going on here. And my response of love is to endure the situation, is to let it develop over time. Right? Right? Somewhere between you did the wrong thing and you do the right thing is the land of enduring. Right? And and What I don't find in these passages, in this idea that we love one another in such a way that we cover over each other's sins, is is we haven't reduced our relationship in some of these moments to until you who did the wrong thing do the right thing, what you get from me is is meat locker freeze cold responses. What what about just loving and believing that you're, you're going to do the right thing? Believing that about you. Believing that about God in you. that like you're, you're going to do the right thing so I can relate to you like you're on your way to the right thing. You haven't done it yet. I don't even see any signs of it yet. But I, my love is towards you that way. My love is bearing this thing. It's not just insisting that you take it back and fix it. I'm bearing the load of this thing. And you guys, you think this out in, in your relationships, in husbands and wives, Bearing with one another. Preserving, treating more valuable the unity you have in Christ. than fixing this thing or getting that person to stop or making sure this never happens again or I'm so sick of. And that's got to travel into our lives. These are cute verses until you put them on. But they're powerful verses when you put them on. They're necessary. They're two-minute verses when we put them on. Listen, we blow... The mind of the world when you see husbands and wives and, and parents and kids relating to each other in this way, bearing with one another, right? How, how many of you know that you got issues? Right? How many of you got issues? And I don't have any problems. I, I got issues and I'm so grateful that you bear with my issues. Right? I expect that and I hope you do. But when it comes to bearing with somebody else's issues, it's a little different thing. It's like, you know, any deficiency that my wife and I share in differences or sinful weaknesses and tendencies, there's a a bearing with that that has to take place. Or am I one who's advertising my irritation about that? Listen, across our relationships, children to their parents, members of the church to one another, uh, members of the church to pastors. Um. This this has been my experience. You know, people at some point, I've been in this church for a long time, so I've seen lots of people come and go. Seen people leave that you had no idea why they left. No one said anything. There's no conversation that was had. People you walked with for years sometimes, just all of a sudden just just gone. And then you kind of hear, you know, hear these little bits and pieces. This was said, that was said. There was this issue. And when you start hearing about the issue, it's like, wow. How confusing is that? That's not even how that happened. And, you know, so there was no opportunity for clarity that would have perhaps remedied any of that. And so folks, folks leave. It's not always, they're not always mad at the pastors. Sometimes they are, but not always. Uh, Sometimes they're mad at the church members. Somebody in their covenant group, their covenant group leader, you know, had high expectations that when I got in your covenant group, I was going to actually take on your last name and you'd help pay my bills. And, (laughs) Uh, attend all my kids' ball games and uh and you know you 've done nothing but disappoint me because uh you just don't do those things, but I do notice you do it for a couple of the other members, and i'm just wondering why you don't do it for me I guess you just don't like me the way you like them and so this kind of stuff kind of goes off and next thing you know they're they're gone they're gone from your group they're gone from the church and how about bearing with each other all right it's easy for me to say this. I, I do mean this for pastors, but it's easy for me to say it for covenant group leaders. Give them a break. That's what that verse means. How about, how about cut me some slack? How, you know, give, give me some grace, right? You hear these phrases? It, it's basically, it's a plea. Would you please tolerate me while God is at work in me? Would, could, you just, could you just tolerate me? And this is the sad thing. This is, where, this, is, this is where the church is playing at being the church. We come into churches like this, and as long as loving each other is easy, we're here. We're committed, and it's the greatest church on earth. And then it gets real, and it gets sloppy, and people hurt you. And you thought they hurt you, but you never did go back and find out whether they actually did hurt you or not, you know. But it sounded like they hurt you. So as far as you're concerned, they hurt you. So you're gone. It got hard. I'd rather just love when it's easy to love. I'd rather get around people who are like me and don't have to work at that. Well, you're never going to have family in your life. You're never going to stay married. You're never going to walk with your kids. There's nobody in your life that's going to make it easy for you to love them. Have you figured that out yet? (laughs) If you're going to love, you just now signed on for that's hard. That's hard to do right there. And I I think God knew that. I think he knew that. That's why he said the fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm not leaving this up to you knuckleheads. (laughs) You're going to need something more than you if you're going to love the way this Bible talks about loving. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. All right, one more category here. Gifts. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So hospitality, this, this ability, this gift trips Peter into a conversation now of gifts of the Spirit. As each has received a gift... A charisma, it's the word charismatic. This is why this is a message to charismatic people. Because Peter is assuming that each one here is charismatic. As each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Wayne Grudem says a spiritual gift, charisma, is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 12-14. through It's any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. That's what a gift is. That's what a Holy Spirit-given gift is. Now, here's the news about those gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards, right? Question. Did you know... That you have received a gift from God. Did you know that? The Bible says it's true. Did you know it? If you did know it, my question next would be, did you use that gift last week to serve others? Do you know what your gift is? Or more than one gift? Maybe a few. Are you growing in that gift? See, in the Bible, there's an awareness, there's a use of the gift, and then there's encouragement for folks to grow in their gift so that, yeah, I've kind of gotten more and more at home with this thing. It was very awkward in the beginning. Wasn't even sure I had it. Begin to take some steps, take some steps. Very awkward. Stumbled. Fumbled. Wasn't sure I was doing this right. But growing, growing. You know, years later, growing more. Used more effectively. That's the expectation in this passage for believers, and then there's this little caveat, as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Same language that Paul used about the grace of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This distribution of grace that God wires gifting into the church in order to distribute his grace through those gifts into the church. As good stewards serve one another. Now, I wonder here, the Apostle Peter sat in on two messages that Jesus preached about stewards, I wonder if he had those messages in mind when he said this to the church. Right? Remember one of the servants in the household, actually there were three that were given talents. A talent was a, an amount of money, wasn't an ability to play an instrument or whatever. It was an amount of money. Three of them were given. One was given five talents, one was given three, and one was given one. And the master went off and he told them, You conduct business while I'm gone. What do you think Jesus is illustrating here? (laughs) Right? I mean, we've read the New Testament. We know what he's illustrating here. He goes off and at some point he comes back and each of those has to give an account of the gift that they had received. And the first one says, You gave me five. I made use of that five and now I have five more. God blesses him next one comes and said, you gave me three. I made use of those. Now I have three more. So I have six now. God blesses this steward, this responsible servant. The last one comes and says, I knew what kind of a person you were, and I was afraid that I would lose the one talent you gave me, so I buried it. I didn't do anything with it, but I, do, I still have it, and I want to give it back to you now. Do you remember the outcome? Jesus scolds that servant. He scolds him. He says, you were irresponsible with what I gave you. See, there's a day of responsibility in what God has given to his people. The other servant, the other steward in the household was the one who was put in charge of some things. And he was to be a wise steward because he did not know the day nor the hour in which his master would return. He was called a steward over the household of the master. Now, I just wonder, and Peter is saying this to the church, right? Use these gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter, who sat and listened to Jesus, probably preached these messages more than once. Do you think he had that in mind? Do you think he was telling the church, listen, there's going to be a day when God is going to ask you, what did you do with the gift I gave you? I want you to explain what you did to me. I want you to explain the fruitfulness of it in your life. Listen, this, this, is, this is concerning when we're not aware of what our gifts are. We're not walking in our gifts. We're not seeking to develop our gifts. Right? I know everybody who walked in here, if you've spent any time in a Christian church, you've heard of something called gifts. But do you understand my concern in that we, we have these structures in place. We haven't got anybody living in them. Right? We have... We have these three components that are mentioned here in this passage. We have prayer. But anybody at home, anybody living there? We have fruit of the spirit, love, mind-blowing love. It, it, okay. are, are, we, are we doing this? We have gifts. We all know that there's gifts, but are we operating in the gifts? See, I, I think the church, you know, we got people quitting the church. I think it's because it, it's grown disconnected from the Holy Spirit. Like the things that the Spirit's supposed to be doing in our lives, we, we don't know how to attach to it anymore. We don't know how to receive those things from God. We're aware that they're there. Listen, and, and this bites me in some categories. I've been walking with God a long time, and, and I feel clueless in some categories. So this is not just for those who just got saved. I think the church is suffering from a practical disconnect from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can't conclude something different. Are the gifts operating or are they not? I mean, if they're just deficiently operating or, you know, we we say, hey, guys, write down for me the last time that you were in a meeting you saw a gift operate. Now, that will tell you a couple things if you are aware of how many diverse gifts there are because you may not recognize that they are operating. But it may also tell you that there's a bunch of gifts that just none of us are seeing. But we might be able to say that about love. I mean, when was the last time you saw somebody just mind-blowingly love somebody? Just blew your mind with how they responded. That's the work of the Spirit. You see prayer taking place in the church. It's a work of the Spirit. These are works of the Spirit in our midst. Let me skip to that last quote: serving gifts. A couple of different varieties of gifts. He says, the other broad class of gifts referred to is if someone serves. These are to be done from the strength that God supplies. Here the Christian sees a service that God wants done. One can try to do it out of one's own zeal and strength, a recipe for ultimate ineffectiveness and burnout. Listen, any of the leaders, especially the pastoral team, but any of the leaders, if, you, if we have spent much time together, you will know that I have expressed numerous concerns about people burning out. It feels like people are overwhelmed, too much, burning out. Right. I wonder if this might be some of what we're experiencing. Or one can depend on that strength which God provides. When gifts are used in this way, God's power and will rather than human goodness or ability will be seen. With the result that in everything, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now do you understand, to the the natural eye, we may not be able to see the difference in that one little line there. Look, God's power and will rather than human goodness or ability will be seen. God's power and will versus just staring into human goodness and ability. And quite honestly, they're going to look very, very similar. You might just be walking around in church with a whole lot of human goodness, good intentions, man's ability. We may mean learning how to pull church off with human goodness and man's ability, rather than dependency upon the Spirit to make us who we are. It's like one's going to produce burnout, the other's going to produce life and a move of God. And I, I, I kind of wanted this passage to whet our appetite a little bit for the series that, that is coming. But I want you to see something here. When when Peter gets to talking about the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have to hang a big sign, shoot fireworks, and say, okay, we are now talking about the Holy Spirit. But you do understand, this is a passage about the Holy Spirit. Do you see that now? Prayer is all about the Spirit. Fruit is all about the Spirit. Gifts are all about the Spirit. So I hope that if you've been reading in 1 Peter with us over and over again, I hope you didn't read this passage and not see the spirit there. But I know I read the Bible that way a lot. And I I think it adds to the disconnect. I think what God wants to do is to reintroduce us to how to receive from the spirit. I I don't think this series is going to be a basic education in introducing you to the Holy Spirit that you've never heard anything about. The primary concern is, are we too disconnected from what we already know? I don't, I don't really need to learn something new about the Holy Spirit. I, I just need to be able to receive more effectively what I already know. And that might be true for a lot of us here. But that's, what I, that's where I hope we'll be going the next few weeks. Let's go ahead and stand up and pray together. Lord, help us just to receive the aroma of this passage. Lord, not just the words. We want to just, just want to parse the words of the passage. Lord, we want, to, we want to feel the heat. We want to stand next to it and feel it radiating something to us. And Lord, it, it's impossible not to feel the heat of urgency. This is an urgent appeal. Coach Peter is urgently appealing to us to finish well. Be ready. Team, you've got two minutes. And then game over. Leave it on the field. Father, that's the church that we want to be. We want to be living in a time where we are aware Lord, this is an urgent hour. We got two minutes, maybe. Lord, we need your spirit. Lord, we, don't need, we don't need years and years more of well-intended prayer lives that don't ever get dwelt in. Lord, we don't just need great passages that teach us about mind-blowing love we can't point to it and can't remember experiencing it and our relationships don't seem to look that way. Lord, we don't merely need a knowledge of gifts. We need the gifts operating, Lord. Because they are the means of your varied grace getting delivered. Lord, this room is filled with a bunch of grace dispensers. That's what gifts are. So maybe there's six or 700 grace dispensers in the room. God, teach us how to cooperate with you. We don't want these verses to sound so great in the Bible. We want them to be seen in our lives. So, Father, we appeal to you, and we do so out of this passion. This verse concludes with our passion. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I bless you guys. Go and get ready for next week.